Matthew chapter 7. The words of the Lord Jesus, one of his parables, one of his most familiar parables. And remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So the last words from the Sermon on the Mount, and you know that someone's last words are always important. And in a sense, we could say here at the end of Matthew 7 that the Lord has kept the best wine till last. This wonderful parable. And let's read these words of Christ in Matthew 7, verse 21. The word of God says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Do you see what's happening here in both these verses? Jesus is being addressed as Lord. Verse 21, Lord, Lord. Verse 22, Lord, Lord. Jesus Christ is God. Don't listen to the cults that tell you that he's a created being, that he's a creature. No, he's the creator. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. So if you're not saved tonight, he's the person you need. He's the divine saviour. And if you're a believer tonight and you're going through the valley and you're going through a fiery trial, lean on him because he's the rock of ages and in him is everlasting strength. So he's the Lord. So verse 22 continues, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Do you see how they're boasting, these people? Lord, let us into heaven because of all the great things that we have done. Allow us into heaven because of of our deeds. But that's not the way anyone gets into heaven. Because it's not of works, lest any man should boast. No, we don't believe in justification by works. That's what the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, believes. We'll come on to that later. We're justified by faith in Christ alone. It's nothing to do with our works of righteousness because they're only filthy rags. So let's, let's hear what Jesus says to these boasters in verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now here's the parable. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, 
for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. I, he taught doctrine. I hear people say to me, oh, just teach and talk about practical everyday things. Yes, there's a place for that, but there's also a place for doctrine, and the doctrine must come before the practical. Need to get the priority right, the order right. Lord Jesus preached doctrine, belief. You see, you, you, you really have to get your, your beliefs right before your behavior will be right. It's the, you, what you believe is important. That's where you need to start. So Jesus, he preaches doctrine and the people are astonished. Adam. You know, folks, we need men today who will preach messages that will astonish people. Problem in the church in the West today is that most people sleep in churches today. Most preachers put them to sleep. You know, it's like they come in through the door of the church and it's like the preacher, he, he sort of gives them a wee jag, you know, puts them over to sleep. And they wake up refreshed at the end of the service, but they haven't heard much. Well, we need preachers like the Lord Jesus who will astonish the congregation, keep them wide awake. So there was nobody was going to nod off uh, while Jesus Christ was preaching here. Verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Sitting in the National September the 11th Memorial Museum in New York City is a strange-looking chunk of steel. It was found in March 2002 in the wreckage of the Twin Towers, just a few months after the worst terrorist attack ever recorded on U.S. soil brought down the towers and killed nearly 3,000 people. The fragment of steel was discovered by a fireman who handed it to a photographer who was also out in the rubble that particular day. Fused to the piece of steel is a tiny sliver of Matthew chapter 7, containing the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was talking about two houses built on two foundations, one on rock, the other on sand. What was on that tiny sliver? Just three words. And it fell. And it fell. Very appropriate, folks, wouldn't you say, 
for the collapse of a building, for the collapse of the World Trade Center. The people of America today are in mourning because obviously you know today's date and the people on the other side of the Atlantic are mourning the loss of all those people as a result of the terrorist attacks in 2001. So we can say tonight that on both sides of the Atlantic there's mourning because we're mourning the loss of our beloved Queen and in the United States they're mourning the loss of so many of their people on the 11th September 2001 or as they call it 9-11 9-11 what's the connection between 9-11 and the death of our Queen well let me read some words to you that were spoken by Her Majesty on the 3rd of August this year just, about a, just over a month ago, this is what she said. Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. The message and teachings of Christ. What was found among the rubble of the World Trade Center? The message and teachings of Christ. Sermon on the Mount. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. These words we have read from Matthew chapter 7. You see, in this parable, there are two men. There's the wise man and there's the foolish man. So first of all, let's think about the wise man. The wise man, look with me there. Take your Bible and look at Matthew 7, verse 24. Let's read about this wise man. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. I wonder who that is. I'll tell you who it is. Christ. It's the Lord Jesus. He's the wise man in this parable. And I'll tell you folks how I know this is referring to Christ. Because you notice that Jesus says there, doeth them. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. You see, the problem with us tonight is that we are fallen creatures. We are sinners. And there is none that doeth good, no, not one. I want you to get that tonight. We're taking the key of Scripture and we're opening other verses of Scripture. And you see, the problem with, with ourselves is that we cannot save ourselves by what we do. Some people think, oh well, let's read the Sermon on the Mount and we'll try to put into practice what Jesus talks about here. We'll try to do what he tells us to do. But actually that's defeating the total, the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. And all the statutes and precepts that are contained in it. Is to show us that we are sinners. It's to show us that we cannot do what God demands 
We cannot attain to his standard, his perfect standard. There was only one person who was ever able to attain to God's standard, and that was the Son of God. You see, remember we said earlier about the Roman Catholic Church and how they teach justification by works. Do this, do that, do the other thing, and then you'll, you'll be in heaven. Obey the rules of the church. Abide by the teachings of the church. Uh, light candles. Pay uh, into the church. Attend the mass. Follow the different sacraments of the church. Go on pilgrimage to Fatima in Portugal or to Lourdes or to Loch Derg or whatever. Do, do, do. But you see, we are not saved by our doing. Doing is a very dangerous word that can be a deadly word for sinners. Because they can fall into the trap of thinking that it's by their doing that they're saved. But none of us are accepted by a holy God that we heard about this morning. None of us are accepted by him because of our doing. Because let me repeat it again, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. No, the only person who can do good all the time is Christ. And he's the wise man who's spoken of here. I believe this is the interpretation above all others. Jesus is the wise man. He has done all that's necessary to make salvation possible. We were reading with the Bible class this morning, Hebrews chapter 9, how that the Lord Jesus has obtained eternal salvation for us by his one sacrifice for sins forever. He has done it all. Now let's think about this wise man Let's try to understand a wee bit more about him here. It tells us that he's a builder. So you look at, look at it there, verse 24. I will liken him unto a wise man, that's Christ, which built his house upon a rock. I, the Lord Jesus, is a builder. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you tonight that he's building his church. And you remember what old Peter said in Matthew chapter 16? He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus turned to him at Caesarea Philippi and he said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's the rock in Matthew 16 and then there's the rock in Matthew 7. Make the connection, folks. The Lord Jesus is the one who builds his church upon the rock. Who's the rock? It's Christ himself. Peter's not the rock. None of us are the rock. No, Christ is the rock. He's the wise man who builds his house upon a rock. You know, back in the pages of the Old Testament, we, we read of how 
The Lord told Moses to go to Horeb and to strike the rock at Horeb. The people were complaining to Moses. In fact, they were, they were, they were ready to stone him, actually. And the Lord always comes to you in your hour of need and when you're at Whitsand Corner. And that's when he came to Moses and said, Moses, you go to, to Horeb and you strike the rock. And the people who are complaining that there's no water, water's going to come out of the rock. I want to tell you folks that at the cross of Calvary, God the Father struck the rock. The Lord Jesus was struck for us. He was smitten for us. And then there's another incident in the life of Moses because the Lord tells Moses, Now Moses, I want you to speak to the rock this time. Don't strike the rock, but just speak to the rock and water will come out of it. But of course Moses makes the mistake and he, he, he strikes the rock, he hits the rock again with his rod. That's not what God told him to do. God said, just speak to the rock. That's all you have to do for the water to come out of it. I want to tell you folks, the Lord Jesus only needs to be struck once. Just once. He only needs to die on Calvary once to set you free from the bondage of the devil. I don't care what bondage you're in tonight. Could be alcohol, could be drugs, could be pornography, could be your phone. Boy, I tell you, a lot of people in bondage their phone. Their screen time's through the roof. Not much time spent in prayer or reading the Bible. But boy, the screen time's through the roof. They're hooked. But Jesus died in Calvary once so that he could redeem us and deliver us and justify us and say, Father, accept these sinners because of what I have done. Hallelujah. Because the rock was struck at Calvary 2,000 years ago, all we have to do now is speak to him. We just have to talk to him to be saved. Maybe tonight you need to talk to him. Maybe tonight you need to have a wee conversation with Jesus. Maybe you need to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Lord Jesus, I need a miracle. My life's a mess. Maybe you're a backslider tonight and sure the country's coming down with him. Maybe you need to have a wee talk with the rock tonight and you need to say... Lord Jesus, restore me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'm nowhere, Lord. I'm drifting. I'm up and down like a yo-yo. And I'm going nowhere. And I'm sick, sore and tired off it. And I want the real thing, Lord. I want your best. I want all that in Jesus is stored. All or nothing, Lord. All or nothing. And if you'll talk to the rock tonight, I tell you, he'll answer you. He'll do amazing things for you. I can do nothing for you. Sure, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. I'm just the the beggar telling other beggars where to get bread. Hallelujah, the rock has been struck and we can speak to him. 
And he's so gracious and so gentle. And he listened to us tonight. And if we're saved, we're, we're a child of his and we're, 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 we're under attack from the devil. And we're going we're gonna, gonna back into a home tonight that's difficult. And it's, it's a nightmare. I want to tell you tonight, brother, sister in Christ, you can talk to the rock. And he's with you in your home. And he's with you in your trials and your problems. And in the midst of all the hardships, he's there with you. You're not on your own. You're never alone. Thank God for the wise man in the parable who's building his church. And you know, folks, I want to tell you tonight how he builds his church. How is it that this wise man in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus, how does he actually build his church? Well, look at it again. Look at the passage and look in particular at verse 25 now. Go to verse 25. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon the rock. I want to tell you folks, I want to say something tonight and I want you to latch on to this. The Lord Jesus will build his church in spite of all the opposition. You see, the Savior mentions rain here. He says rain descended. The rain speaks of affliction in the life of the believer, in the life of the church. And there's a lot of Christians who are going through afflictions tonight. There's people who would love to be in the service tonight, but they're not able to be here because of physical bodily afflictions, pain and suffering. The rain is descending upon them. And I tell you, there's a whole lot of the Lord's people in his church tonight. And the rain's coming down, the afflictions are falling upon them. But I want to say that in spite of the rain, he's going to build his church. Hallelujah. So take heart tonight. If you're in the meeting and that describes you, you're going through affliction. Remember what the psalmist said. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The Lord's going to deliver us out of all of our afflictions someday. The rain's going to stop someday. Then Jesus talks here about the floods. And the rain descended and the floods came. Floods. That speaks of persecution. You see, the floods come from the earth. Whenever the rivers are full, uh, then the, the, the rivers overflow their banks and the water comes up from the water table and it comes from the earth around. Persecution of the church. Well, the Lord Jesus had something to say about persecution in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So when the tongues start to wag, folks, don't be alarmed. The devil uses tongues to some people and their tongues as wide as this church. Their tongue would go from that wall to that wall. And they'll snipe and they'll find fault. But they'll not do much else. But the Lord Jesus said when you're persecuted and when people start to slander you. Take it as a badge of honor. In verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
Blessed are those who experience the floods. The church of Christ often experiences floods of persecution. But he's going to build his church in spite of it all. The winds Jesus talks about here as well. What, what do the winds refer to? The winds blew, Jesus said. The winds of temptation blowing upon the church. Do you ever get tempted? Well, if, you, if the answer to that question is no, you're not saved. Because Christians get tempted. But being tempted isn't a sin. It's yielding to the temptation. And there's times that we have to get down before the Lord and admit we have yielded to the temptation. But he's so gentle and gracious. And he forgives us. Oh, the gentleness of Jesus. The psalmist said, Psalm 18, Thy gentleness hath made me great. Don't you love it? Thy gentleness hath made me great. Oh, the gentleness of Jesus Christ. The gentleness of the Savior toward his people. Aye, when the winds of temptation blow upon his church, he's there to support it. You see, Luke 22, verse 27 speaks about temptation. Tells us in Luke's gospel, in this chapter 22, Lord Jesus, or verse 28, I beg your pardon, verse 28, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. My temptations? Jesus was tempted? Wow. And Jesus says to his disciples, to his people, he says, you're with me in the temptations. You've supported me. You've been by my side. And the Lord Jesus is saying to his people here, when you go through temptation, when the winds of temptation blow on you, I'll be with you. I'll not forsake you. So in spite of the rain of affliction and the floods of persecution and the winds of temptation, Christ will build his church. Hallelujah. Now what about the other man in the parable? In verse 26, we read of him. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 7. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. So we have established who the wise man is, that's Christ. Who's the foolish man? The devil. The devil. He's the man who builds his house on the sand. You see, the devil is a builder. The Lord Jesus is a builder. He's building his church. But the devil's also a builder. He's building his kingdom. He's erecting his kingdom. He's putting up the scaffolding of his kingdom even today. And I want you folks really just to be wide awake in these days. We need as believers 
to pray, Lord, keep me alert in these days, in these last days before the return of Christ. Lord, keep me wide awake to the enemy and to his work. Give me discernment, Lord. We need it in these days to see the kingdom of the devil being built. The kingdom of Antichrist is being built in our day and generation, folks. And next Sunday morning we'll we'll get back into Revelation if the Lord spares and tarries. And these are the kind of things that we're thinking about. But let me just say tonight that the devil is building his kingdom and the kingdom of the beast and the kingdom of Antichrist is going up all around us today. And most of the church are fast asleep. The majority of believers, are uh, Satan has rocked them to sleep. And they haven't a clue about half of the stuff that's going on today. I want to tell you Satan's building today. Did you know that in America you can go into Amazon stores and you can scan your hand? Don't even need a card. Just your hand will do. Just wave your hand over the machine and away you go. The devil's building his kingdom. Did you know that they have now introduced into Peppa Pig? Do you know the wee children's program? There's two mummies now in Peppa Pig. There's one of the wee characters in Peppa Pig and she's got two mummies. The devil's working hard, boy. He's working flat out 24 hours a day building his kingdom. And we here saved need to be working flat out 24 hours a day to build the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But no matter in spite of the devil building his kingdom, thank God it will fall. It's going to come crashing down someday, folks. Because it's built on the sand. Matthew chapter 7. See the, you see the devil made the big mistake of building on the sand. And the building on sand is not a good idea. And yes the devil's he's building his kingdom and his empire today. And boy he thinks everything's going great. And boy he's sitting back laughing at most of the church. For most of them are asleep just the way he wants them. And he thinks that he has the church and he's got Christ where he wants them. And he's going to win the battle and he's going to conquer in the end. But he's wrong. He's oh so wrong because the day will come when the house that he's building on the sand of this world will come crashing down. Just as communism came crashing down in the Soviet Union and in Romania under Ceausescu, just as the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, so the kingdom of the devil is going to come crashing down someday. Hallelujah. And Babylon is going to fall, as the book of Revelation talks about. Babylon the Great has fallen. Political Babylon's going to fall. All the politicians that are doing the devil's dirty work today, they're wasting their time. And religious Babylon, the Church of Rome, Islam, all the false cults, the one world religion is going to come crashing down someday. 
But the question is, how will it fall? And with this I finish. How is the devil's house on the sand going to come crashing down? Well, think about it again. Look there at verse 27. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. The rain of God's word is going to bring the devil's house down. You see, in Isaiah 55, you read it when you go home, God's word is described as the rain. It's like the rain that comes down from heaven. All you need to bring down the devil's kingdom is this awesome book here. That's all the church needs. doesn't need the gimmicks that so many churches are going in for today. So many churches today, and all they're doing is pressing the panic button. We'll have to do something. We'll better do something, introduce something new, because we need to give the Lord a helping hand. But the Lord doesn't need our help. He's quite capable, in fact, he's more than capable of bringing down the devil's kingdom. But he does it through his word, through the Bible. For it's the hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. And the Lord Jesus brings the devil, the devil's house down with the floods. He talks about the floods here causing this house to collapse. The floods of revival, hallelujah. Floods of revival, Lord, let them fall. Streams of salvation reaching to you all. Isaiah chapter 44. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Can you finish it? And floods upon the dry ground. Floods. The floods are coming. Floods of revival. Hold on, Christian. The Lord's going to answer prayer. Don't give up. And don't throw in the towel. Keep praying. Keep praying for the floods of revival. And then the winds help to bring this house down as well. The winds. The wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. And he blows where he listeth, where he chooses. We don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. We don't say, now, Holy Spirit, this is what we're going to do in our church. Will you please bless it? Will you please uh, do our bidding and use what we have planned? No, we say, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do in this church? Lead us and guide us. Help us not to step outside your will. And the wind, the Holy Spirit, he blows and he uses the church to bring down the devil's kingdom. We need the wind, don't we? We need the wind of the Spirit. And I believe it's on its way. At long last. Boy, there's a whole lot of God's dear people who have lived and died and prayed for revival and they didn't see it. But it's coming, you know. It's on the way. Oh, hallelujah for the fall of the devil's kingdom. And it fell. Don't you just love those words? Verse 27, and it fell.